So today we have Alex from Shared Practices. Alex, how tall are you? Six seven. Yeah, taller than Craig. So he's taller than Craig uh, by a long shot. But and not been, better looking though. No, I disagree. I find you more you prettier than I am. I, also, I'm older. By the time you're my age, you you'll, you probably won't look as good. But you look that's good true. now. And you look you're, even you're, you look good even in those fluorescent lights that are beaming. Yeah, that's the most right unflattering now. background. So I'm going to add five points to you. I know. Well, well, I, I know that I can shine, you know, in spite of, you know, the, the abysmal surroundings. So bring the you know, energy, buddy. Bring confidence. Energy. All right. So talk to us. You've been uh, let's get a little background on you just for people who don't know you. I, I know you've been to a couple. Actually, I think you were at the first uh, Bulletproof Summit, by the way. Right. Yeah, I was at the, the Ritz Carlton in no, the St. Regis in Atlanta. St. Regis. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So tell us your best. You're in you're obviously one of six in the shared practice. Why don't you mm-hmm. tell us everyone your uh, your story? Yeah, so my goal is to hit like right down the fairway between George's extremely abrasive episode and Richard's um, very polished, nice episode, um, and and be somewhere in the middle between the two extremes. But no, um, <laughs> I joined up as a partner in SP a couple years ago, and I was a contributor, and I ran the the mastermind program for SP, and then we we merged all of our practices together, and we became equal one sixth partners in not only the practice group, but also in the, the consulting and coaching uh, seminar entity. So now it's, it's been really cool to do that because those of us that are in the space that, that enjoy constantly learning and growing and improving, it's, it's really contagious to be around those types of folks that, that enjoy constantly pursuing new stuff because dentistry can be as stagnant as you want it to be, or as you allow it to be maybe more accurately. And so by being around people that are constantly pushing the envelope and forging forth and and are on the bleeding edge of uh, innovation and possibility, it, it keeps it fresh. Totally. I mean, we actually just had a pod on that with, you know, we've, we've got um, two other co-hosts now from time to time. Mm-hmm. We were just kind of talking about that because we're actually doing our mastermind. It's funny. You mentioned you're, you kind of led that, you know, we're going to our offsite. We do mm-hmm. vacations around some of ours. And so the first trip is to Cabo. So we're all going to Cabo this weekend to kind of dig in from an immersion standpoint. Nice. Um, but it, yeah, all what the thesis that you just described. I'm curious though, you say you merged all of your practices. I didn't know that. How the hell? So what, and then you're all one sixth. Wait, well, but how did you do that? Was it a stock like a merger acquisitions, or was it straight merger, or was it stock, or what? Like, how did you do that? Was it based on EBITDA? I'm so curious on this. Yeah, there was a valuation that was done uh, by a third party that that took the valuations of each entity and then reconciled that with kind of an arbitrary valuation of. The, the coaching like consulting seminar respect? company. Oh, okay. Yeah. And okay. so it, it treated those entities, you know, in the same book of business on, a, on an EBITDA multiple. And then we each, some of us had to buy up. Some of us had to pay down mm-hmm. to, to reconcile the, the one sixth yeah, um, amounts. But it, and it in, in hindsight that all of the accounting and all the number crunching was done before we knew what we would look like completely you know at this stage of the game so it it was done with the best guess and and for anyone contemplating a merger and i know you guys have talked about the good bad and ugly of of partnerships on your podcast before i I distinctly remember at least one episode about it you got to go in eyes wide open and and looking look at it as almost like the the divorce is imminent and you have to look yeah yeah you have to look at it as being almost uh, a disagreement rather than agreement 
like have everything outlined as to what could go wrong on the front end. Yeah, build it with the doors in mind. Exactly. Yeah, because it's it's gonna end whether till death do us part or or some other circumstance. So no, we we we're so unified in what we want to do and the fact that we want to be at this for a very 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 long time that uh, all of us being in our thirties. You know, we we're, we're unified in wanting to do the the teaching, the podcasting, the consulting, while at the same time, you know, having our our book of business with our practices, and and having you know multiple multiple ways to influence the industry. That's so great, really good. I think it's a I think that would be so daunting to say let's just merge these six practices with these six personalities, and, and but it's obviously worked well for you guys. You guys have a great reputation in the industry. You're putting out quality stuff. Um, you know, how long has it been, Alex? Yeah, it's the the official deal closed January one of twenty two. The all of the the machinations and the back end stuff were basically laid out earlier in twenty one, but you know nothing goes as quickly as you want it to go with with banks right. and financial institutions and third parties. So it was beginning of twenty two. And, you know, we're, we're doing a solely de novo model anymore. Like we're not doing any acquisitions like that space mm. is, cl- is crowded enough as it is. And that's tell how we, why. tell me why Alex, just, can you put a couple of reasons? I don't want to cut you off, but I no, don't hear um, your philosophy and y'all's philosophy on why no more acquisitions. Well, there's two layers to that. The, the first layer is it would be disingenuous and hypocritical for us to do acquisitions when we coach clients on doing acquisitions. So a lot, a lot of our client so coaching, a conflict, you'd have a conflict. There'd be a conflict of interests on a, on a superficial yeah. level. And okay. so we don't want to, you know, dip our toe into that water and compete with our clients. Mm. Cause we, we're just not that that's not, you know, above board in my opinion. And then the second that's reason very is virtuous of you guys. I think, that's, well, I think that's a stretch, but I think that's, yeah, very I virtuous do too, of you. But, but yeah, it's, like, a, it's like a stretch. The, like the, it, the, the optics are really bad. Like, you, you, yeah, you could reverse course and do it, but the optics are bad. The The second reason that's very compelling is you can do a de novo for a fraction of what you can acquire practice for. Yes, provided that you don't need cash flow. Right. Yeah, and, right. and that's and where so we're at. I, and no, we're st- I mean, you're like, duh, Bolden. Like, of course I know that. Mm-hmm. I state this stuff because I, I've said the same thing on many podcasts. When you do an acquisition, typically you're buying cash flow, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the... That's what you're buying. Let's just be yeah. honest. That and some goodwill, right? But goodwill, cash flow. Let's just, and and if you want, and in that problem, sometimes you, in that acquisition, sorry, you have attrition of patients, drama mm-hmm. of integrating a new team, yep. things like that, right? You're having to polish a lot of this stuff. So this integration becomes a heavy lift, potentially. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, not even potentially. Integration is a heavy lift, full stop, right, Craig? Pencils down. Pencils down. <laughs> In a, in, obviously in a startup, you are the architect of all the things. It's a new team. It's a new culture. It's a new this. It is much cheaper, uh, but it obviously lacks the cash flow. Yeah, it lacks the cash flow, but it, it creates so much more freedom of possibility. And you you have a, a blank canvas, truly. And the thing with acquisitions, it, and you touched on it, a lot of my mentors that have grown large groups via acquisitions, there's a whole lot more pain points that arrive, even if you're just trying to do the, the duct tape them together and, and sell yeah, them yeah, yeah, approach. Yeah. Like e- even with that, there are... The duct tape roll up is a pain, is, is yes, is not as easy as duct tape. Smart money is smarter now and they don't, they can sniff out a duct tape ESO. Whereas oh. maybe 10 years ago, it wasn't as, or five years ago, it wasn't as. 
they right. want a real platform. No, there's 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 the need for the real platform. And one of the things that we are very open with on our podcast and with all of our clients is there's going to be a reckoning at some point with with all of that the, the dumb money that you alluded to. There's going to be a reckoning with that. So any anyone who's caught with their pants down, it's it's going to be rough for them. And I think right. the market is getting so segmented where you either have really good savvy operators on one end of the spectrum, or you have people that are saying, hey, you know what? I'm just going to batten down the hatches and have one really solid location. And the people that are caught in that nebulous middle ground area yep. where maybe they're aspiring to go from two to five locations, but they're they're thin on management or they're thin on processes like that's that's where it's going to be no man's land pretty quickly right. so i i think it's a great Amen, idea to, to alex to, to air on one side of that gulf or the other i feel like he's been i feel like he's since he's been such an advocate of bulletproof some of this is either i can't tell but i love the way he's mm. sounding but you're so smart had, you must have learned this hopefully from us. we've I had think some influence way. in yeah it's, no, it's just osmosis like it, it yeah. goes from hopefully a higher concentration of knowledge to lower concentration and that's yeah. where it goes yeah. <laughs> i think i'd be on the bottom of that unfortunately um i was I like just it. thinking i, like I was it. like the the just thinking like to be able obviously you guys had a nice vision that you all ag- agreed to i want to hear about your coordination in the beginning right making mm-hmm. sure that like okay here we are dating now we're getting engaged now we're getting married who does who defined this is the vision we should go do you guys want to jump on or was it a collaborative effort it was incremental it was george and i george career and i went yep. to a seminar and we we had this you know trademark epiphany that that so many people with big ideas have and the the you went to a seminar mm-hmm. and it so and a it, seminar just that not about that obviously but just no we just were together, together. yeah yep. yeah we were together at a seminar and we started talking mm-hmm. and we we thought of the idea of okay we know the industry is getting more consolidated we know that there's strength in numbers to be had if it's done well if it's not the the duct tape approach and you know just the how quickly the industry is changing there's going to be so many economies of scale at the larger you know level that soon we're not going to be able to compete with a bunch of like in our own sandbox type of approaches and so we started talking about it then we enrolled richard and and matt garino the other two um legacy uh founders of sp and then we eventually added on, you know, Matt Ford and Austin Davis through some recruiting pitches, and all told, it happened in a couple of months. Um, and wow. we, we we enlisted some third party advisors to to help us along the path to to do the valuations and such. But we agreed in principle pretty quickly. And another point on partnership uh, in in broad strokes, I think that can be helpful to the audience is if ever you try to do something that's not equal parts even if it's like 5149 for like a controlling interest or anything that's majority minority, even if it's well-designed and well-intentioned, be careful of those, those hurt feelings and the, the, the likelihood of any kind of issues that spawn out from that. Like the ripple effects of having the majority minority, they can be good. And sometimes the ripple effects are, are justified by the benefits, but go in eyes wide open whenever you're proposing something that's not, that doesn't have the maximum amount of equanimity. Hmm. I mean, you, okay. So a little bit for me? Yeah. Uh, so like, are you saying that, that wanna, someone having a super majority, someone having yeah, a so super we, majority is so, not, is not beneficial, right? Right. So we started, we started off having an unequal distribution of equity between the six of us. Like it was parceled out according to like a weird, uh, 
way of doing it that we eventually realized, you know what, this is too complicated. Just one sixth across the board. So, so what's your, what's your, what's your belief system about, um, different positions of equity on a cap table? What's your, what, what is your, what's your fear? What's your thought? Let me under, understand that. There's two ways of looking at that. One way to look at it is what are you bringing to the table initially? And then the other way of looking at it is what do you purport to be able to offer as we grow and scale? Are you bringing something in on the front end that's irreplaceable or are you offering something six months or a year from now that you can't get from elsewhere? Because one of the, one of the maxims of partnership is only partner with someone that offers something that you can't yourself offer. Because like equity, uh, are you, Peter, you're probably familiar with um, Naval Ravikant, right? Like the, yes. the the Twitter guy, he does the big Twitter sure. tweet storms. Yeah. So mean, one of his big... Equity is the most expensive things? Yeah, well, equ equity is a, a scarce resource. I mean, right. I, I, have a, I have a very abundant view of the world, but equity is scarce. Valuable equity is scarce. So be sure that whoever you're partnering with bring something to the table in exchange for that equity. So that, that was our mindset to answer your question, Craig, is that- Well, that's not answering my question though, because I was speaking to the, Naval will say himself a small piece of something, owning a small piece. And mm -hmm. Naval hasn't been a super majority shareholder in, in many of the things he's entered with. So True. I'm just trying to unpack like what, like, cause like I'm a minority partner in several mm -hmm. things that, mm -hmm. that it brings not only opportunity at the get, but long-term overall experience and expertise. I'm just speaking to, you know, Peter has minority non-share voting shareholding stock uh, partners as well. I would hitch my wagon to a person who has opportunity and smarts all day long and take a minority piece on mm -hmm. that. I'm just trying to understand like what I, I understand you're, you're not, you don't have the same level of contribution and voting rights, but I've done it successfully many times. And I just was trying to understand yeah, you what know, you're to dumb it down. Like, do they have that many cooks, chefs in the kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. I think it gets, I think progress gets hindered because it's like, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do right. you think? I don't know. What do you right. think? And so that's an efficiency uh, issue. And so I think Craig is saying, look, yeah, I've in, wanted in a super models, majority shareholder in many things. Yeah, I've and wanted. in my models, I like I am the majority, but it's, but I declared the vision early and then everyone mm -hmm. said, yeah, I like that. Let's do that. And so maybe, maybe that's a unique situation different than y'all's because you guys call it, came together as a collaboration, new entity. And so it's quite different. Um, I think the difference too, is if you're the operator versus if you're just mm -hmm. purely a minority shareholder with an active or a passive role in the business. Cause all of us are operators. Like all six of us actively operate in the business. So if you're a super majority, then probably you're an operator in some form or fashion. Whereas in a lot of uh, configurations, you can be a minority shareholder and not have an operations type role as a central cog in the, the day to day. And not saying that's necessary, but I know that like we're one sixth, you know, equally, operational in nature uh, between our different roles and that's how we and keep you really are they so craig they went about it because i know austin and george um, pretty well now but you guys do kind of it's a divide and conquer like this is my mm -hmm. lane and i'm going to master and be and you, you guys just know that like i've got this like business development mm -hmm. aspect or this marketing or whatever it is and so it truly is a divide and conquer not a duplication and so i so agree with what you're saying do not offer a partnership until someone can bring something to the table that you really can't do or don't want to, or don't have the bandwidth to do anymore. Yeah, I was just speaking to a personal bias. Like if I was in that similar situation, mm -hmm. I enjoy a controlling, not for me personally, mm -hmm. but I would be more inclined to step into a relationship where we had 
five of us were all equal and then there's one that's like <laughs> leading the charge i just right. i just i work well with that as long as i respect the values and decision making of the leader and that's the they take that's my input into it that's and they the take and they consider my input but yeah, i wanted think, that i've been in other situations like to, with my buddy michael in real estate i'm like i need you to be the majority shareholder if you're not i will not invest in this deal yeah i think I that, com that comes into play when you have someone who's head and shoulders either senior in years or experience or knowledge or an ability but when you come in as sure. a multitude of equals then yep. it, i don't know the, the democratic approach tends to work at least in sure. our case and i don't know sure. how replicable or scalable that is i just know that like in our our weird little it's partnership it, it tends to work because we have such like disparate skill sets and like for, for each of us we realize that if we wanted to do things on our own and blaze our own trails then we'd be invariably sure. wearing hats that we don't want to wear for the rest no, of look, our careers and you guys have uh you know, you know, it's new. It's the first chapter, and God willing, it goes well. So I, I'm just—I was just speaking. You had a clear bias about that, and I had a oh, clear yeah. counterpoint to it. So I just wanted True. to flush it out. What's Absolutely. the? Uh, what's your plan? What's y'all's plan? Like, what's the? You know, you know. I hate to say a five-year goal, but let's just mm -hmm. say, like, if you had the magic wand, where do you see your your SP practice group evolving? Well, we see getting to triple-digit locations. That's that's where we want to get to in the next five years. A hundred locations plus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We awesome. we we yeah we intend to make a splash, and that's at the same time as you know continuing to grow our our consulting coaching side mm -hmm. to because we we see the we see dentistry as being a very complicated market. Yeah. There's two there's two sides of it. Well, and no, so I'm we saying have, that that one helps feed the other. I mean, you know, because you guys are voices in the industry, people say, "I like what they're saying. I'd like to join them." If this is what they're doing, so you guys have a unique arbitrage—not from financial arbitrage, but you have a, you have an attention arbitrage. And we and used they to also see get to know you. I mean, your podcast listeners understand mm -hmm. who you are. They, they've, you know, it's it's not yes. a it's an eyes wide open opportunity. They know mm -hmm. every personality. Yeah, and we used to see this there being more synergy than maybe there actually is because originally we were all about only practice ownership, practice ownership or bust. On, on the podcast. And we've since gotten a lot more nuanced in our angle, knowing that there's plenty of great outcomes for dentists, regardless of if you do full blown, like solo hang a shingle practice ownership versus partnering with a group that can offer equity at the single site. And so there, there's shades of gray, there's sophistication there. Um, but we want to offer, you know, things at every level, depending on if you want to be super duper clinical and not worry about management, or if you're like, Hey, I want to do like the manifest destiny, do my own path. You know, there's, there's, there's room for everybody. I agree. I agree. Um, so hundred locations <laughs> geographically agnostic. Yeah. And that's, and that's the cool part about living in 2022 is that you can be more geographically agnostic than you ever could be before. You can have remote operations. You can uh, scale different departments without having to be in one geographical radius. And so there, there's ways to do it based on, you know, the, the goals of the people that you interact with, the, the interest levels of people that might want to partner with you, you know, in, in various sites. And what we've seen too is, I saw this in Arkansas when I was dipping my toe in the, the multi-practice uh, waters and others have seen it in other uh, comparable markets is that the, the cannibalism is a real thing. Like, especially if you're doing any type of a niche practice, and I'm sure you saw this 
Peter, with your with your locations where how big is the optimal radius so that a niched out type of practice does not auto cannibalize uh, a neighboring practice 20, 30 miles away? Like what's the sweet spot? And you probably had to learn that lesson, you know, the hard way. And we, we've done that with some split. Yes. Testing. And yes. And no, I've had, I've actually, um, I'd, I'd love that you're bringing this up because I was going to actually do a whole pod on this, Greg, and I'm not going to spend a whole pod worth of time on it, but, but yes, cannibalization is a real thing for your practice, especially when you're doing multi, especially when you're in a metro area. So yeah. what I did, uh, you know, Alex, I've learned the hard way by making um, emotional decisions or gut decisions because I've quote unquote lived here my whole life. I know I'll know what to do. So I got burned by that. So I started making myself do data driven decisions instead. So I have taken, so there's an opportunity in my, in my area. I have a building that's c- coming available uh, in a great location, although it's, it's within three to four miles of another location. Great roadside visibility. It's a standalone. It's an MRI clinic that's going. Uh, that's not renewing their lease. I didn't want to get romantic about the fact that oh gosh, I have a building and I'd love to put a dental practice in. So I wanted to justify it by data. So what I did is I exported all of my. I hired a cartographer um, who then used a service online, which I found that you can use. I forget the service. Uh, export it all into a CSV file of all uh, 20,000 or 22,000 people that have ever been in my practice. And, and from that, Alex, it created a weather map of the density of where people are from. Um, and so that was a really cool exercise to do because it, luckily it confirmed my suspicion, but it was a nice thing to do in terms of like seeing uh, your ideal market. So like if you do this, even if you're not trying to expand, this is why, which is why I was trying to do the podcast on it, even if you're not trying to expand, it would be nice to say, wow, this area, we are really clobbering it in. What have we done here? Either step, either step and repeat in another area or, wow, look at this opportunity over here that for some reason we are not tapping this community. And so data is just your best friend when you just don't, are kind of your backs up against the wall. Um, but, but, but so much, I love how you started that, Alex, with, with cannibalization as a real thing. And it, and it should be front and center when you are doing multiples. Um, because well, the t- three, three miles, let me, I'll, I'll finish the last thing I'm saying. Three miles might be okay in a metro area, but like, you're, you know, I have a couple of rural practices too. And so, you know, 20 miles, 25 miles in that could, would be cannibalistic in that area. So it, it, it really, you got to run the data. So Alex, go. Sorry. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's, it would be negligent to not do that anymore. Like with, with the ubiquity of data and the ubiquity of being able to uh, you know, check and recheck and double check and triple check. But Nowadays, so many people don't though, Alex, well, they just well, run demographic reports on a said new location without well, running we, the cannibalist. We conflate, you know, too much importance on our guts and our instincts <laughs> because we, we <laughs> feel like we've been there, done that, got the t-shirt and, you know, we, we know best because we know the area that's, that's what gets you is like, we, I thought that about Arkansas and then I've bought this like fledgling location right after all the COVID stuff and had a plan to resuscitate it. And it ended up taking way longer and being way more capital intensive and requiring way more patience than I ever thought possible, but it was a really good learning opportunity and to do it in your backyard prior to doing anything remotely, I think is a, is a great prerequisite for anyone who's thinking about doing multi-practice because if you, if there is a fire to put out, you'd rather it be 20 minutes away than totally. two States away. Totally. Yeah. The, the proximity, yeah. 
the proximity to fight the fire is definitely a real thing. I actually was looking at a practice in Dothan, Alabama, which you did not pull through on. And I, after driving that a couple of times in my diligence, I was like, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't have a pilot's license. There's not really a good airport. It's, it's, you know, but it's, it's also it's right management leadership infrastructure too. I mean, it's not necessarily yeah. that you have to drive, but like one of your team leads, sure. someone will drive have to, five hours. It's, it's untenable. You can't do well, it. Well, back to our original thing we were saying with Alex is that the, the especially in the, I didn't mind it once I got everything integrated, but the, but the first three to six months was going to be a heavy lift, heavy lift. And I didn't have the bandwidth nor the desire, quite honestly, to, to travel four and a half hours on a good day. Um, to an to an out of the out of the state practice. So you don't want to be an Alabama man, Peter? Come on. No, I absolutely want to be an Alabama man. I think I think honestly that that prox that areas where you're in, you know, I think Alabama, I think Mississippi, I think all the areas that are kind yeah, of, you've always you've always liked that. Peter I love a rural market, you know. I love a rural market. I love uh, overlooked areas. Everyone focuses on metro. Um, but I like a I like non-metro areas. You know, I like I like strong secondary communities in in in, in smaller states. Um, so yeah, if you can retain doctors, that's the way to go. I mean, I hundred percent. There's there's still 100%. so much opportunity here in Arkansas that's untapped, and it's it's crazy. Like you you find a state that does not have a dental school, like Arkansas. There's there's just so much opportunity that the saturation level's not there. So let's talk about that. <clears throat> you brought it up. Excuse me. Retention. What are mm -hmm. you guys doing? What has been the consensus among the six of you guys as you scale to 100? <clears throat> DSO's biggest impediments right now, let's mm -hmm. call it private equity DSO's, the biggest impediment to their success is the retention of the doctors, the retention of the team. What is your problem solution to that as you go to triple digit locations? It's For us, it's an earned equity model where you hit certain practice level benchmarks, certain profitability metrics, certain top line revenue numbers. And then that equates to a certain percentage of earned equity. At Real that equity location, or not equity the whole or... co. Well, hold, hold on. Right. At so in the, in the practice. Or... Yeah. Practice location. level. Sorry. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then Craig's saying, is it real equity or is it profit sharing, phantom share? RSU it, type of thing. It's, or it's, we originally were doing an RSU type approach. And we. And I know who consulted you on that, the RSU one. It was a heavy oh, lift to oh, borrow your nomenclature. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we so we, we pivoted away from that and we're, we're doing more yeah, of what we're calling synthetic equity, which is a variant on. That doesn't sound nice thing. to me, by the way. You might want to call it something else. It's like yeah. here's synthetic meat. I'm like, no, thanks. I'm good. Yeah, it's it's soy-based equity. Is yeah, it is. Exactly. <laughs> Non-caloric, no, non-appreciating. It's great. Yeah, it, Bill Gates approved, impossible, yeah. impossible equity. Yeah. Right. Right. You speak juice for blood. Yeah, but it's it equates to a percentage of the profit sharing essentially at at the the single site. At the, so the event level. of a sale, like so for capital appreciation, does it does it have cap, capital? Yeah, there there are considerations for if there's a sale because there okay. is an allotment that the the doctor earns, and then in the event of a sale, that's that's valued at a certain EBITDA multiple. So it's so basically are... like, sorry, Craig. sorry, it's basically a. Um, Golden handcuffs. If you, it's a water, like a vesting schedule that continues to vest over time. Mm -hmm. So if someone, le it's a dissuasion from leaving, I guess, right? Right, and and it's creating a solid outcome at the end of it too. And that's that's ultimately yeah, everybody what, wins. Everybody right. wins in that scenario. And that's I talk about that all the time. Like sustainable relationships. You can't have a, a three legged stool that you all of a sudden pull one leg out. Well, and that's what got us to pivot away from the RSU was that we didn't ultimately 
feel great about the outcomes that were being created. Uh, and that we felt like for, with by the way, guys, restricted stock unit. Yeah. Restricted stock unit. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so we, Sorry, we pivoted away from that because we want to create more tangible, measurable, impactful outcomes at, at the practice level too. Because if, if we want this to be a long-term you know, endeavor, then it has to be a win-win-win across the board. And and with our newer approach to that, that's that's what it's going to be. Hmm. Love it. I love it. That's um. I like to see it. So obviously, you six are at hold co level, and then you have individuals eight right around. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Craig, anything else? No, I've been a very good guest listener today. I think you. <laughs> you, have, you, were, you know you what? Were... You have been awfully quiet. Yeah, I'm just like listening a lot on the pod. No, I don't know. I'm listening. I, there's nothing that's like really piquing my piquing uh, my my curiosity. Just, I'll, I'll be more interesting on part two, Craig. Yeah, I appreciate that. I might just I just might let you guys handle part two. How's your <laughs> outlook, Alex? How's your outlook for Craig? Doesn't like being the second tallest guy on the recording. He does. No, not. I really. He's you know, so... every I came with a lot of energy, but as soon as I found out you were six seven, I remembered meeting you. My my all my superpower just like left my body. I feel like a masculine. You stole all his testosterone. It's, um, yeah, whatever's left, actually, Peter. What's on? What's on your? Uh, what's on y'all's horizon? I know. I know. Obviously, the steady growth. Um, but is there anything that you've seen from a, you know, we talk a lot about, I don't know if you listen to our podcast, yeah, but we have a lot of like, you know, we talk about the economy and macro stuff mm-hmm. and geopolitical stuff just cause, cause dentistry doesn't exist in just its own little Petri dish. Correct. So what is, what is concerning to you right now? Is interest rates bothering you? Because obviously you guys are going to be debt funded. I'm guessing, unless you're trying to, yes, you're going to be debt funded to get to a hundred locations. Um, I'm just kind of throwing out some fodder. Like, what's what's yeah, what's yeah. getting you guys angst right now as owners? The, the main thing is we're wanting to make sure that we're positioned to capture as broad of a swath of the market we can, because a yeah. lot of for a lot of people, everything looks like a nail if all you have is a hammer. So we're trying mm-hmm. to have different price points to be more recession resistant. Because I don't think you can really recession proof anything, but you can be more recession resistant. And so, like for our denture and implant offices. If all on fours aren't an option, be able to do overdentures or be able to do immediates and then convert those to overdentures later on. So having a menu of options that, that suits the, the macro economy, I think, I think mm-hmm. is a way to go. And that can be extrapolated down to the GP office too, because a lot of people that, and you, you've alluded to this, Peter, before about the people that are cosmetic only, you know, in certain market cycles, that doesn't play well. You, you, you can go belly up if all you can do is you know, no prep veneers all day long, but if you're able to do surgery or be able to offer a more broad suite of services, when the economy tanks, then you're going to be fine. And the people that only want to drill and fill or do other, some other niched out service might not fare as well. I completely, it never really made sense for me. Like the dental offices that, that are hyper niched. Um, it just, unfortunately patients don't really know what they need. Mm-hmm. So even like, you know, some of the uber successful models, like the all in four direct to consumer models, like a clear choice or whatever, there's a lot of people that think that I've met in my 20, whatever years of practicing dentistry that come in and say like, I need dentures. I'm like, you need like a filling and a deep cleaning and some whitening. So I think that, and, and that's a, a, an exaggeration to a comment that I think patients don't really understand what they need. And when mm-hmm. we're hyper niched, I think when we have the 
last 10 years that we've had, everybody can do well, hyper niche, general. But I, I, I think that there's another position that dental offices, you should, you should be a fit for a broad segment of the population because people will come and you shouldn't have to refer them out. So imagine all the people that walk into clear choice type centers. And I know now they're affiliated with Aspen. So it's a little bit of a more easy integration, mm-hmm. but in the past, like people, you know, just needed crowns. And, you know, when you, like when you have implants as one of your only tools in the tool chest, it, it just make, doesn't make sense for a biz, for me and, and dentistry to have that hyper niched um, uh, focus, even in a good time, never mind in a recession. Yeah, I mean, that's you have the optics of seeing that um, from a longevity perspective and knowing that you saw the pain. I mean, I lived through that, obviously, the pain of being hyper niched and then and then going through 2008 and being like, wow. Yeah, we weren't hyper niched, you know, then and we expanded through 2008 and nine, like 75% growth. But I did, I did other things. I did an acquisition during that and merged them in. Oh, okay. So th- there's opportunities like that. But I just wonder what mm. what are your positions? Take the recession out of it. Mm. And let's talk about hyper niched dental, ID, dental concepts. Like, is it what's what's the reason why Maybe I'll ask you, Alex. What's the reason why you you guys do that? What What's the reason why you have a dental implant location? I'm not sure he and, does right. Or well, he was saying for a dental implant locations, he said something oh, okay. like that. Yeah. So most of our new locations are going to be of a denture and implant type of slant. Like that's that's going to be the the designation. And so the mm-hmm. the benefit there is, it's from a marketing standpoint, it's it's easy to get in front of those types of patients because, you know, looking at the overall demographics, we have an aging population, a lot of people that have gone decades without consistent dental care. Um, and so there's, there's getting to be a, a larger and larger pool of patients that are candidates, you know, for that type of treatment. So from that standpoint, if you have a large enough target market, it can work. But a lot of the, the niches that people declare like the sub niches within dentistry. Some of those aren't viable, you know, at scale or, or in a lot of different markets, but there's a reason why you, you mentioned clear choice, Craig. I mean, there's a reason why the clear choices of the world, you know, chose that niche as well, because sure, there, there, sure. is, but there is, there's a market for it. No, of course. So what's your, what's your strategy then? Cause I imagine you're not building clear choice sized, um, uh, you, you know, storefronts. What's your strategy then? Are you doing like a hub and spoke model where you put your denture and implant, you put GP around it, or are you just saying we're focused on this, you know, top of the pyramid implant denture, blah, blah, blah. And the rest of it, we don't really care where it goes. I'm just curious what your position is on. Yeah, it's, we've definitely toyed with the hub and spoke because we've seen case studies of that being successful in certain markets. But for us in our analysis, the key uh, facet there is in certain markets. And so what you laid out with, with your option B there is, is more of what we're going to be doing is just like a standalone, uh, office that we are able to f- form some synergistic partnerships with that are more traditional GP providers, but so that we can might not be in your ownership. They, they may just be synergistic partnerships exactly. outside. Yeah. It'll okay. just be reciprocal relationships to refer back and forth. And we've, we've been building those out. Because GP, yeah. I mean, G, GP is such a grab bag, like just pure, pure GP. You see everything from one extreme of being super Medicaid PPO heavy to being super fee for service. And it's really hard to standardize the GP model in, in yeah, our experience. Just my thought process is going like to consume the CAC, the consumer acquisition cost to mm-hmm. get like a clear choice type patient through the door or your oh, yeah. patient through the door. It's mm-hmm. so high yep. that like, why not have like, 
you know, we do implants plus general dentistry so that when the person that comes in and you spent the blank dollars to acquire them, you can be like, okay, we can do your Invisalign here too. I, I don't know. Cycle the whole life cycle. It's just, yeah, and yeah, again, yeah. obviously biased because we're all coming from very different ends of dentistry. Mm -hmm. Like my practice is very different from Peter's and yours and all that. But like, mm -hmm. that's what alarm goes off on my head because I know what clear choices CAC is. Well, mm -hmm. and too, you lose the benefit. Like one of the reasons that, that, that dentistry is the darling of private equity, in my opinion, is because we are like a subscription service almost, right? We have these recurring right. recares. So if you right. start getting hyper niche, I, I like, I know, I know cosmetic dentistry. Like I don't, I don't even have hygiene in my practice. I'm like, Oh my God, you're going to have some pain here soon. And it's, you know, I know we've right. had 15 years of a bull market, but there's going to be mm -hmm. some pain with this one, bud. And I don't say that obviously, but, but you know, when you have the specialization, right, the dentures and implant, maybe are you seeing, do you have a model in there that's building for a recare scenario? We've looked at it for sure. And, and if you want to go in the way back machine, there was a really interesting old shared practices episode where George and Austin duked it out over that very topic about the benefits of having like a stable floor of recare to bolster up the new patient flow versus just marketing super heavily for new patients, irrespective of whatever, you know, retention you may be able to have. And, you know, me philosophically, I have a, a larger, not like Craig level, but like larger GP office that where retention is a very key component of it. So I, I hear you loud and clear. I just know that with the, the model that we've built out with what we're seeing so far, it's working you know, well enough, knock on wood, without having any kind of a hygiene component or a retention component or offering a, a broader suite of like GP services. I think that's something down the road, like in certain markets that could do well where you have yeah, a, a lot. I also, we're, we're also, sorry to cut you, Alex, but we're also sure. pr product, products of the economic times in which we're formed. Sure. Blockbuster video, mm -hmm. like, with, you know, I, I don't mean to draw the blockbuster conversation because that's actually, that's a broad generalization and potentially offensive to what I'm about to say. It's what I'm saying is that like during these last 10 years, all models have worked really, really well. And if you are a believer that the future will be less robust, it would be far more efficient to have that recurring. That's why we are the darlings, like Peter said, like my buddies who are plastic surgeons do Botox at a loss, mm -hmm. not because they like doing that, but they have no other recurring way to visit their patients. So dentistry is beautiful in that patients show up even when they're not needing work. And a lot of those patients have been doing SRPs and blah, 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 and their teeth ultimately fail. And they do need that all in four or they don't, but it's like to be hyper. I just, I, I find it troubling. And again, I, I only speak from my own bias, but to go into this new phase of economy with saying, you know what, we're just going to kind of buy our way into the patients. And, and without that being able to capitalize on all life cycles of dentistry is just troubling for me. Well, the cool but thing you're about not asking my opinion either. So, well, yeah, but the the cool thing about it though is that even though that would require more infrastructure and more human capital, you can always flip that switch yes, down the road could. if yeah, if necessary. Like if if we go like DefCon four and stuff goes crazy, like that's always something that you could flip on the or contingency. And, yes. Yeah, it's always an yeah, option. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alex, any questions for for us? Been no, I mean, I, this I just turned into Shark Tank, I think, is what it really okay. was. No, that's yeah. that's okay. That's it's fun because, you know, 
I think that's how we get better. And, and to, to bring it back to the full circle to the mastermind approach, I mean, that's what any good mastermind does is, is you, you pressure test each other's ideas and you, you get like a panel and you, you force, you force each other to talk about the why and the, the underlying premise and you poke holes in it. So I, and yep. I'm, I'm going to put Peter on the spot for a second, Peter, where, what do you feel? What's your opinion on this? Uh, what do you think? On the mastermind pressure? Test? No, not on the mastermind. On the the you know the the dental implant model. Like, would you? What are your thoughts? I, I actually. What would you do? It. I I love their model um, <clears throat> because I think it's they're looking at underserved areas where you can um, where they can deliver, right? Like the '60s, like Peter Diamandis, right? It's it's like yeah. they're going to digitize and bring modern tech to areas that typically don't get that. You know, rural areas don't get that. And so I right, think there's, but, a, there's an underserved demand um, and people who are wanting and willing and needing these the services. So and I, would you, I really like would that. Would you model. add on a GP component to it? I'm not because that I, was a, that you know was, what, I probably I asked the wrong think, question because I like the model too, especially. When you yeah, I think I would build out I was Craig saying, would as you, if. I think I would build out, and but I don't think the model is predicated on. I don't think its success is predicated on the general model in this instance. I think there's a short band. I think there's a short runway for it, maybe five, ten, fifteen years. But um, I would probably build in some general ops just in case. And then if the model was gangbusters. Then I could, you could obviously infill. You flip them back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but what I would, I'm really I would build focused on is saying no to general dentistry. That just pains me. You know, if X dollars are coming in the door saying like, oh, I need a, you know, I just need this or I need a cleaning. Well, like, oh, we don't do that here. I also think though, Craig, that I see some power in, right? Like you don't want to be the Swiss army knife all the time either. So the branding gets confusing when you're like, we're dentures and implants and general dentistry and Invisalign and, you know, yeah, like it and gets, we rotate your it tires. Gets, yeah. It gets harder. So I love that the, I love the, this is our flag. We are going to, you know, we are the yeah. flag bearers of X and we're going to do it. And 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 reserve the right to pivot, and yeah, all it I, takes is a different chair, a different plan. You know, it doesn't take it doesn't yeah. take different stuff. Coming full circle, though, Peter, I just think that the patient, the average patient, is not sophisticated enough to know with what they what they need. And Clear Choice has done a really good job of educating the consumer. Like, hey, they do these amazing patient stories and all this stuff, and it's, exactly. it's a heavy lift, though. It's a really heavy lift. So there is some you know benefit that you get in markets that Clear Choice is putting their dollars in, but you have to drive two hours to get to one. I mean, that's, that's huge, but I just but, worry Craig, the patients in, don't in know. the areas that he's describing the CPM, right? The cost per thousand people's eyeballs, right? CPM cost per thousand. Just, I know you guys know this is categorically different than the one that may be in a metro area areas that clear choice is focused on. Sure. Right. So it's, it's a difference of a factor of 20, by the way. Sure. Okay, yeah. so I know you're saying it's a heavy lift, but it's actually not because it's a non-crowded market where there's a, lots of attention being willing to be bought for pennies on the dollar. And there's so much attention to be had, even in those markets where Clear Choice has gone into already. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a newer niche of dentistry, and it's one that is yeah. not as crowded as the GP. Because what I've seen in a lot of the research is it can be really crowded to just to jostle for elbow room in the GP space. And so even within the GP space, there's still some sub specialization that you almost have to do, whether it's appealing to some, you know, demographic or some identity of the patient or some, some, something that sets you apart in the GP realm, unless you're going to like these secondary tertiary markets already. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways to, to do this successfully and, and a lot of different 
paths to success. And that's the cool thing about the, about the, the whole industry that we're in is that there's no one way to do it. Yeah. But, and we all come from our own unique backgrounds of like what works. So I'm trying to insert like my hygiene brain. Like I'm so thankful for yeah, hygiene. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I'm just trying to insert that in there, but now God, uh, I mean, it's your own great. confirmational bias. Of right? course you, it is. You, and theirs yeah. too. Right. And, I, and I'm in our partnership, like I'm the consummate GP guy. So like I'm the naysayer that has to ask those questions. And I'm the one that had to be, you know, brought to bear when I was like, well, what about hygiene? What about having the, the stable 28 to 32% of revenue coming from hygiene year after year, set your watch by it. And, you know, there, there's enough benefits of, of making the, the bold declaration and, and niching out. We feel that it's worth it. Yeah. I was looking at your models of this plus that, not this mm -hmm. instead of that, but that's right. all. But no, it's awesome. Alex, enjoyed it, buddy. We'll do a part yeah, two likewise. for sure. You're, uh, hey, thank you. Thank yeah. you for the time and thank you guys for what you do for the industry. Thank you for likewise, being likewise, buddy. You're doing you, you're doing yeah, the likewise. same thing. So thanks for that making it kind. better. I don't think Very anyone's kind. ever said that on, on a public uh on a public podcast. It was well, Alex, you Alex, go you're the you first. you are now the kindest um guest we've ever had it was very nice had. you didn't go to the, down the fairway you went down the left kind side it was very nice yeah, you're more you're you're more in uh you're more with you're more on the opposite side of george right if you said george was would you say abrasive i really i didn't think it was an abrasive i, I loved liked it. it i loved that i liked it that was too. great yeah. that, that was a great episode you, you you guys handled it really well the the gloves stayed on for the most part it was really good <laughs> no george yeah, but was it, you're was all it good like, guys no one went jugular, right? It was just no. like going at it, and people just get so uncomfortable with like any kind of conflict at all, right? But you know, like especially that's how we on get podcasts. better, though. Have you, no have you noticed this on podcasts? It's always like anything the guest says is like, yeah, that's great, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as opposed to being like, that's dog shit. Like, why would yeah. you say that? I mean, that's you know? how like, we, we are. That Peter, Peter, and I talked like the way we spoke to George was exactly how Peter and I would speak to each other. Exactly. Well, that's so a sign of anything, respect instead of instead of trying to play nice and and yeah. placate the guest i mean I, I think that's helpful yeah no one wants yep. that everybody wants everybody to be real i think i know george loved it so he loved he, he loves that he loves the he pushing up in that he yeah. thrives on that let's do it again all right let's buddy again, huh? well let's um yeah good to, good to get on and connect and um yeah man we are cheering you guys on from from however we can so i love this i love where you're where you're headed bud and good luck yeah. with your mastermind event. That sounds like a, a badass gonna, thing. Like all of our mastermind people are going to be like, what the hell? Why aren't we going to Mexico? Yeah. Why are we in Cabo? What's, what's exactly. going on? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so thanks right, for that.